Hey there, Kubrick fans. If you like what you hear during this episode, be sure to visit our website at thekubrickseries.com for more episodes and uncut interviews from the series. And you can also consider making a one-time or recurring monthly donation in any amount of your choosing if you'd like to support our podcast. That's thekubrickseries.com. Thank you. Julian Davis played the pivotal role of Amanda Curran in Eyes Wide Shut, a character who acts as the catalyst for the fear and paranoia that grip Bill Hartford as he tries to make sense of his brief but life-altering journey. Miss Davis made her feature film debut in Kubrick's Eyes Wide Shut, and that's a great way to start off a career, guys. <laughs> in addition to feature roles in other TV series and films like House of Nine, she is the writer, co-producer, and lead singer of a fantastic band by the name of Sophisticated Savage, and it is great music. Uh, it's a great pleasure to welcome to our show Miss Julian Davis. Miss Davis, are you with us? Yes, I am. Thank you. Gosh, that's quite an introduction. Thank you very much. <laughs> well, thank you for being with us. We're honored to have you on here. No, uh, it's a pleasure. I'm just glad you got your intellectuals rather than saying, you know, the typical thing. Ooh, what was it like working with Stanley? Not sort of asking a specific question because I know yeah. that you guys are going to be asking some very great questions. Oh wow! Uh, don't say that before I start my questions. <laughs> Uh, tell me a little bit about yourself before uh, before we get an eyes wide shut. Had you been doing theater or other performance work prior to to the opportunity for eyes wide shut? No, quite frankly, um, I I dabbled in acting years before in America and pretty much gave up on it and became a model mm-hmm. because that was making me really good money. Um, I then moved to New York and then moved to London, and when this thing came up, I actually auditioned for an extra role. In um, in Eyes Wide Shut, and um, I auditioned for Leon Vitale, Stanley's right hand man. Mm. And Stanley saw me on tape, called me in to meet him. I then had sc- three screen tests, and got the part. Oh, and wow. it was really that. It was just yeah, it was a bizarre thing to have happen, but it was lucky. You know, good thing for a first film. I I would absolutely think so. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> now now did when when did you first meet Kubrick? Was it once you got the job? Oh no! So I'd already been in Britain for a few years. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so, so you had to have had some expectations of, of what he was like. Did did he meet those expectations, or did he surprise well, you? Well, you know, I'd I'd heard some things about him being difficult and and all that stuff. And um, but at the same time, I was fascinated by him. I was, you know, some of the films, um, Lolita, Doctor Strange Love, mm. two of my all time favorites, um, two thousand one. In fact, I think that was one thing that really fascinated him about me because my father worked for Jet Propulsion Laboratory, which is an offshoot of NASA. And um, I remember my father saying he was impressed with Stanley's observation that in 2001 there was no sound except for the person breathing into their their mask or whatever, you know, when they were outside the spaceship. And Stanley's one of the few directors that caught on that because in space, if there's no atmosphere... Um, there's no way for sound to travel. Mm-hmm. And so you would have total silence. And he was impressed that, you know, I didn't come from stupid stock, basically. <laughs> well, I he, think that helped. He was extremely well-read and well-versed on such a variety of things. I mean, he had an endless, endless curiosity, it seemed. Uh, oh, he was, he was a huge intellectual. Yeah. Huge. And, in fact, I would go so far as to say, he lived, I mean, a lot of people thought he was strange in that respect because, you know, he'd walk on set and every day he wore the exact same clothes. Mm-hmm. He probably had ten pairs of 
all the same things, you know. And I think it's because he just didn't, he lived his entire life in his head, you know. He didn't care about the outer things Mm -hmm. when it came to himself personally. He just, he was a total intellectual in that way. And, um, and so, and I think the reason why he has the same outfits on is because, you know, he didn't want to have to think about that. He, he had too many other things that he would prefer to think about. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely true. And, and I know that this was an extremely long shoot, but how how far into shooting... Long you... and lucrative for me, so I didn't have to find. <laughs> <laughs> how far into the shooting did you come on, and, and how long were you actually involved in the production? Um, well, I think they pretty much, with the exception of a few weeks here and a few weeks there, I think, from memory, it was about eight months I was on that shoot. Oh, wow. I know. That's a long I know. time. Yeah. I know. But the thing is, is that much of that time was they were just paying me to be around, you know. To be available. And there were some days that I would show up on set, and I would just sit there and wait, and wait, and wait, and wait. And sometimes days would go by and I wouldn't be on set because they just didn't get to it yet. Yeah. And, you know, he'd take so much time getting the lighting exactly right. I mean, he would take, he took a week or ten days just to light the, um, the first scene in the bathroom. Oh. That first scene with Sydney and Tom and me. Wow. And just absolutely meticulous about it. Yeah, I, I I just recently heard an interview with Sidney Pollack where he said that Kubrick would walk on set and say, something's wrong with the lighting. And, and, and Larry Smith would say, there's nothing wrong with it. And eventually he investigated and it was off by something like an eighth of a stop. Or, or, and, and he knew it just just by yeah. walking on. Yeah, he could I know. Feel it. I know, and and and, and I, I do, I mean, I have to say, Stanley, Stanley was a complete con- control freak in that respect, you know, he, he needed it to be absolutely perfect, and the people that he surrounded himself with um, were all people of greatness, because he, he just wouldn't allow for things not to be perfect. Yeah, well, did he, at least in terms of performance, did he allow for... For spontaneity, I know you hear about all. Absolutely, all yeah. absolutely. In fact, um, you know the first scene. Um, well, not the first scene where I'm completely out of it, but then the other scene where I'm in a towel, thankfully, which is the only scene that's on my show reel. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, that scene, you know, we we completely Sydney and Tom and me completely rewrote the thing. It was mm. really funny. Yeah, we were all sitting there with the with the script girl, you know, scribbling out lines and you know, scratching in other ones, and, you know, Sydney would walk up and say, now, you know, I wouldn't just say that, I would say this, and then, um, and then I would say, oh, well, you know, if Sydney's going to say this, then I really should be doing this, and then Tom would say, oh, okay, well, then if you guys are doing that, then I'll do this, and, you know, so the whole hmm. thing went like that, and Stanley was completely open-minded to that, um, you know, as, as long as it worked, this is the thing, the important thing with Stanley is, he just wanted it to be the best it could be. And, you know, obviously, if, if we put forward an opinion that wasn't right, um, he would nix it yeah. immediately, you know. So, but, you know, we, we had good ideas, and he liked those ideas. And, you know, and but he'd also ask, you know, we when we'd finish a scene, we'd all look at it on the monitor, and he would look at Tom and me and Sydney, and he goes, yeah, I think that one's pretty good. Let's go with that. And then Tom would look at him and go, Let's just do it one more time. <laughs> oh wow! Tom actually <laughs> so it requested. It wasn't just it wasn't just Stanley. It was Tom as well wanting to do things again and again. Oh well, I always thought that Tom Cruise and, and Kubrick were the perfect match uh, creatively because Tom Cruise is so driven to to get it just right. Uh, I mean, he's un, he's unstoppable. 
Yes, uh, I agree. And and in fact, before then, you know, I, I used to think of Tom Cruise as just somebody who, you know, was a kind of sellout actor because he did all the big films like Mission Impossible and stuff right. like that. And after working with Tom, I have to say, I have the greatest respect for him as an actor. Mm-hmm. He's not a prima donna at all, not not like what you hear. Um, he's just a lovely guy, and he gives 100%, and 100% even when the camera is not on him, in order for the performance to be great either way. He acts across from you off camera. Yes. Yeah. Oh, yes. Oh, no, he, none of this double stand-in business. Yeah, that's you know, right. Guy is a very hard worker and gives it his all because he wanted the project to be great, and he believed in the project, had total faith in it, and such a positive guy, such a professional. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm very impressed with Tom. I, I, I think he's a great guy, great yeah. actor. Yeah, we all agree here. Uh, but it sounds like... There wasn't there wasn't necessarily a rehearsal. The rehearsal, if you will, probably took place during the shooting phase. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, we rehearsed while we were there. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. What a what a unique position uh, that Kubrick was in uh, when he was able to make films for Warner Brothers, and that he had the the benefit of and the luxury of time more so than any so director. Family had total and absolute say. Yeah. I mean, it it didn't matter. Um, whatever he asked for, he received. <laughs> I mean, there was no question, you know. Yeah. And Warner Brothers just carte blanche. Absolutely. Uh, I want to ask you two things that 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 got some press during the the production phase of it and the post production phase of it. Uh, okay. Now, were you working with Sidney Pollack in, in that role from the beginning? Was Harvey Keitel originally cast in that role or not? Um, you know, I had heard that. Um. But um, but they didn't get to that scene at the time. I mean, Harvey Keitel was in some of the other scenes, but by the time they got to that scene, um, it was me. I think they were looking at another girl, or they were looking at a few girls, but quite frankly, and I can understand this, there's a lot of girls that just didn't want to do the full frontal nudity, yeah. you know. And and it was, a, it was a struggle for me as well. I mean, it's not something, you know, can I just say I'm not that kind of girl? Um, so it's not something that I would... You know that I would just run into and say, "Yeah, no problem." Yeah. Um, I had to think about it, but you know, you, you're when you have a chance of your first films working with someone like Kubrick, and you're you're acting along Tom Cruise. I mean, it's very difficult to turn something like that down. That's so right. I've heard, and this is only through the grapevine, like you guys have probably heard, that they were looking at some really big top models for this and things like that. And right. you know, I was just a kind of I was a working model, full time working model. Um, when I when I went up for the role, um, but so I don't know. I mean, I honestly, you know, I don't know who else they looked at and who else for the part. You probably know more than I do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and there seemed to be a mystery, even though it's pretty clear to me when I, when I watch the movie. But there seems to be a mystery surrounding whether or not um, you you were the the mystery girl at the party. Yes. Yeah, that's a bit tricky. Um, I was injured um, during those initial scenes where we're all in a circle. Uh-huh. And so there was a girl that was acting as body double um, during some of those scenes. And quite frankly, I can't tell which one's me and which one's her because we looked pretty identical when we were standing up and walking. So, right. Yeah, it's weird. I, I, it's weird because I'm, I'm looking at the thing, is that me or is that Abigail? And, yeah, I can't quite tell. But, you know, I mean... We're wearing a mask. 
and she's got my hair, <laughs> so yeah. it's pretty difficult to tell. Now, did I'm you just see? Glad I was, I'm just glad I was in the scenes where you do see my face, so I wasn't just a, a body. Well, in those scenes with the mask, uh, because there's such a disconnect between, once the mask is on, there's a disconnect between you, uh, the physical appearance, and the voice. So I'm curious, uh, when the mask was on, and we couldn't, and you, obviously it, uh, we can't tell if it's you or the other girl, w- was that, did a case of dubbing come in, of like voice dubbing? Because Absolutely, like, because the other girl is English and can't do an, and she can't do an oh, American okay. accent. And wow. I'm a voiceover artist as well, so I can change my voice to whatever I need to change it to. Yeah. You know. now, now, did you see the unrated, I know the unrated version uh, played overseas, I believe. Did you see that version, and was there a substantial difference between that version and what we have here in the States? Um, you know, it was a bit more salacious. Sure, yeah. it was. Yeah, yeah. Well, well, but, you know, your... in America, they're a little bit more prudish when it comes to sexuality. Whereas, They've always um, been in... prudish, unfortunately. Yeah. yeah, yeah. they don't mind seeing, you know, heads being blown off and blood spurting out everywhere, but, ooh, show sex, and oh, dear, you know. Yeah. Yeah, it's insane. Uh, but that unrated version is is available. It for the first time, I believe it. It's released as part of the DVD box set on Tuesday. You know, the funny thing is, I don't think that really. Quite frankly, I don't think it really adds or takes away from the film. I think you know, American version, the story comes across, mm-hmm. and and I think the European version was just a little bit more salacious, but. Quite frankly, I don't know if it was any more necessary. I mean, the point had come across anyway. Right. Yeah, I think I think you're right, it, it, and it did, it didn't affect uh, affect anything in terms of content. And it, it, no, absolutely it, not. And yeah, in fact, it was when, just you know, part of that one scene, correct? Well, and also when you think about the well, I mean, everybody gets something different from a film like Kubrick because he always causes you to think. Right. You know, he doesn't he doesn't spell everything out for you. But I think. You know, with that film, the message is still very clear. You know, whether it was the European version or the American version, I mean, that aspect of the story um, doesn't have anything to do, as far as I'm concerned, with the original message that he was trying to get across. Yeah. So, so what was your opinion of it when you when you first saw it? Um, <laughs> when I first saw it, it was uh, at the premiere um, in Los Angeles, mm-hmm. in Westwood. And, uh, you know, so that was the first time. And, and I just remember when my first scene came on um, with me, you know, passed out in the chair fully naked. And the whole audience just went, <gasps> like this. Oh, <laughs> it was wow. a bit nerve-wracking, you know, and I've never seen myself on a big screen like that. You know, okay, the odd poster or something around town or TV commercial, but not not anything like that before. So that was uh, that was, <laughs> I don't know. I, I, you know. I was sort of speechless, really. Yeah, I can I imagine. I remember grabbing my husband's hand and squeezing quite tightly, like, "Oh my God! Oh my God!" <laughs> One of those. Yeah, it's 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 interesting because Kubrick films they can't be fully appreciated just through one viewing. And you know what? I agree with you entirely. In fact, the first time I saw it, I hadn't quite unlocked it. Yeah. Um, it was the second time I saw it that I in the at home on DVD, and I was watching it again. I think I needed to watch it because I need. I was putting together my show reel. Uh-huh. And, um, you know, in fact, I didn't even get a copy. I had to go out and buy some copy for five, you know, for five quid at some secondary. It was hilarious. Um, so, um, yeah, I, I went home and was watching it, and it, 
really the scene for me that absolutely unlocks it is the scene with Nicole and Tom where she's talking about um, her fantasy about the sailor mm. and saying how, you know, they had been spending all afternoon talking about their future and making love and, and doing all those things. And she said it was a really precious afternoon between us. And she said, and I felt very, very close to you. And we were talking about our, our future and our daughter. I think, yeah, their daughter and, um, and all that stuff. And, but she said, and this is the line, this is the line. She said, but at no point did the thoughts of a sailor ever leave my mind. Mm-hmm. Now that is heavy. I mean, yeah. you, you, think, you know, a lot of people were saying, well, you know, we don't understand what the big deal of the film was because, you know, no sex really happened. Neither one of them was was unfaithful, and, you know, that's no big deal, and it didn't make They did it in modern day. Um, they should have done it in 1920s for there to be no um, adultery going on and all that stuff. Mm. But when you listen to that line... Yeah. That line is just huge. I think you're right, yeah. And 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 plus just as a scene, it's pretty much the most hypnotic scene I've ever I've ever witnessed in a film. Yeah. I, I felt completely I felt completely in in the zone that he was creating. I felt lost in that movie at that point and, and the core yeah. was just phenomenal in that film. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, tell me about your band, uh, before you go. Uh it's terrific music. I've listened to some of it over the weekend. But give us a Thank taste. Thank you of, so much. Yeah, a, it's well, it's really my number one baby. I have to admit. <laughs> I mean, you know, I write, produce. Um, you know, the whole um, image of it is all me. You know, I am the sophisticated savage. And um, actually, Stanley heard the music as well, and, and he really liked it. I couldn't believe it. I mean, cause he was asking me. He said. What are you What are you doing here in England? And I said, Well, you know, I've been working as a model. I'm also a musician. And he said, Oh, you know, my daughter's a musician. I'd love to hear your music. And I thought, Really? You know, right in the middle of this <laughs> wow. huge film. But you know, I did what he asked. I went home, put stuff on. Um, I think it was a cassette at the time. I put about half hour worth of music on a cassette. Came back the next day, and he goes, Oh gosh, I'd love this song. And now, what made you decide to use such and such for this? You know, and asking me questions about each song mm. and i was just floored at that point because you know and, and he said i love your music your voice is fabulous and you know coming from someone like that i was i was really better um you couldn't ask for better uh, <laughs> i know i know it's just fantastic um and i was just amazed that he took all that time out you know I and mean, took a half an hour out of his life looking at rushes and all that stuff to listen to my music. Yeah. And that's the kind of guy he was, you know. I think a lot of people don't realize what an um people think that he's an egotist, but he's not. He he just he's an intellectual that likes to immerse himself in information. He just needs more information to to take in to to kind of feed his brain.
Ты не чуешь, как пилот нацист. 